I really love that song. I love the fact that we, we understand how He loves us all. And, and sometimes I wonder, how do we grasp, do we understand really how very much He loves us? I think it would be a, a good lesson to try to learn just how much our Savior loves us and, and what we each of us mean to Him and how important we are in His life um, and how He wants to use us. Anyways, uh, with that in mind, I've, I want to get into the message. I'm sorry I've been gone. I was missed the last two weeks, but man, um, my wife and I got back on, on uh, Saturday late, and so we came to church Sunday um, in this first service. I forget. The second service. We came to second service. And um, we were listening to, to Pastor David teach out of 1 Kings and how he, he taught about Elijah and how... Elijah just trusted God and how he, he knew that it was going to rain. He, he, he promised that it was going to rain. God had revealed to him it was going to rain. And so he sent his servant up seven times and there was no clouds in the sky. Do you remember the story? It's just, it's incredible, the story. And, and finally, the, the servant came back to him and said, Well, in the distance there's, there's a cloud about the size of a man's hand. And he said, Well, prepare for the rain. And what we learned from that, and, and Pastor David, I thought, taught it so beautifully. I learned from that a lesson that I needed that particular Sunday in church. And that is the, the whole idea of being able to trust God in the midst of, of all the trials and all the things that go around in our lives. Teaching, he taught us, Dave did, um, that we must trust God even when nothing looks like it's going our way. We still trust God. That, by the way, fits perfectly into where we are in Scripture in 1 Peter chapter 3. Would you please turn with me? Um, you won't remember. I, I mean, some of you might. I, I didn't. I had to look up my, my last message. You know, I, I, I never know what I preach from week to week sometimes either. And uh, I looked up and I, I saw the last time we gathered together in 1 Peter chapter 3, starting with verse 7 or 8 actually verse 8 Peter taught us that we we need to have the right attitude we also he says have to have the right response to the things that come our way within all of that we have to have the right standard what do we stand upon in our faith and today we're going to take a look at uh, the right incentive what is our incentive for what we do and so I want to read with you uh, in a different way out of uh, out of 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 17. And I want to, I'm going to interject a few things, if you don't mind. I don't normally do that. I like to read Scripture and let it stand on itself. I'm going to do that this morning, but I'm also going to just remind us of some of the things that we learned a couple of weeks ago. In verse 8 of 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter says to sum up. What he is doing, as you recall, is he's taking everything that has happened before that you and I would suffer, that our, our purpose, our lot in life, if you would, is to suffer, and there's a purpose in our suffering, Peter's going to teach us. And so he says, to sum up, not some of you, but all of you. All of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. 
That's our attitude. Our attitude is to be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, humble in spirit. In verse 9, Peter gives us our response. We are not to return, he says in verse 9, evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. That's our response. You, he says, were called for that very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. So we are to pour out blessings to people. That's our response to what comes our way. And so we learned our attitude and now our, our response. In verses 10 and 11, Peter shares with us what is our standard. Why? What do we stand on? What do we live for as a believer? He says in verse 10, For the one who desires life to love and to see good days, becomes our standard, he must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. What we learned a couple of weeks ago is that our standard is a practice, ongoing process in all of our lives to be a people who seek peace and pursue after it. Verses 12 through 17, which we will take a look at a little more in depth today, it is our incentive for living, for doing what is right. Verse 12, it says, For the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and His ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, Verse 13, who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. Don't fear their intimidation. Do not be troubled, but, verse 15, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks of you, to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. In other words, we're to know our Bible. It's the, it's the purpose that we do what we do here at this church. It's the purpose that you have, hopefully, your own Bibles. And if you don't and you can't afford one, we'd love to give you a Bible. Just to mark and to make notes in it for yourself so that you can remind yourself during the week what it is that the Lord spoke to you the last time you read His Word. And then verse 16 and 17. We're to keep a good conscience so that in the thing which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. Because it is better, verse 17, if God should will it so, that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. That's our incentive. To do what is right. To have a good and clear conscience so that the things that people might be saying against you or the things that are going against you because of our your good behavior, those things will be put to shame. It's better that God says that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. That just makes common sense, really. Well, if we live like Peter writes to us and our Lord Jesus Christ asks, asks of us, 
then we are promised that our outcome will be assured with our Lord in heaven. It, it goes along with what Pastor David taught the last two weeks while I was gone. That Elijah had no rain, he had no clouds, all he had going for himself was trust and faith in his God. That should be our motto. So let's pray. Let's get into this service. Thanks, Father, for the beautiful music that uh, August and the worship team led us through today. Oh, how we love you. Father, I pray that's our credo here at this church, that we would just have a, a love for you that, that burns deep within our very soul. Thank you, Father, for who you are. I pray your blessings upon this time that we spend together. In Jesus' most precious name, amen. Now, I'm going to do something I don't normally do, but I want to, there's a reason. Because it, it, is, it, it is in line with what we are studying today, there is an escalating hostility towards biblical Christianity. I mean, all you have to do is look at the news and see what's happening in the world. Christians are being mar- martyred there killed for their faith. But the root of that hostility is as old as the Bible. In the commentary that I read concerning these verses, 8 through 17, every one of them concurred. But one of them had a a message from a great saint of old, Dr. Francis Schaeffer. If you don't know him, if you can, read some of his works from time to time. He's a tremendous man. Tremendous man of God. And in 1970, think about it, 1970, he wrote this commentary concerning verses 8 through 17 of 1 Peter chapter 3. 1970 was, think about it, there's 1970, 1980, 1990, 2000, 2010, 2015, 40, Five years ago now, he wrote these words. They're as current as if today he preaches them. He wrote these words. Dr. Francis Schaeffer, this is out of a commentary by John MacArthur. He says, Dr. Francis Schaeffer wrote back in the 70s that when ancient Israel had turned from God and turned from His truth and His commands... The prophet Jeremiah of old cried out that there was a death in the city. A death in the city was his cry to the people of Israel. Jeremiah was speaking not of physical, not of spiritual really. He was crying about a death that that had a much wider scale. He was saying that there was a death. The word he used was P-O-L-I-S in the Greek. That means there is a death within the culture. There is a death within the society in which was a part of Israel at that time. Dr. Schaefer continues, The mark of this death of culture still scars our society today when he wrote that in the 70s. It scars us, he wrote, through wickedness, decadence, depravity, and mostly, he said, 
A love of violence just for violence's sake. I studied that the first of this week. I then watched what went on in one of the cities in our great, our great land. And I thought about wickedness, decadence, depravity, a love of violence just for violence's sake. And today, you and I can well see we confront that same problem as, as Jeremiah did way back in Old Testament times as Dr. Schaefer wrote about in the 70s, and here we are 45 years later, we're still facing those same problems. We live amongst a people who are contented to live without really understanding or knowing the one true biblical God. Some will say, I know God, but they don't have a clue, not one clue, of what Scripture says about salvation, true salvation about being a believer, a true believer in Jesus Christ. And I wrote, they're traveling on their merry way to hell. And I watch television and I, I, I'll unshamedly tell you, I weep. I honestly weep. I, I, I can't imagine. We see rioting in our streets, burning down of buildings and businesses. No little, little to no consequence of those who have done evil. And so I thought to myself, Jeremiah, yeah, a death within our cities. If I could leave anything with you guys, anything, and for me too, is that we have an understanding of, oh, how He loves us. And oh, how we ought to love Him in return and be obedient to what we are taught through the Word of God, even in the midst of difficulties. So that's where we are today. Did I pray yet? I did? I didn't. Did Some say yes, some say no. I did. Joe, I go with you. You're my man. I love you. You guys know Joe at all? You ought to get to know him. He's a man that uh, really loves the Lord. Thank you. I did pray. Okay, this passage, verses 8 through 17, speak of suffering and how do you handle difficulties. You see, there's a problem within the church today. Let me tell you what it is. There are too many pastors who are reluctant to tell the people the whole truth of the Word of God for fear that they'll disappoint some and they won't come back to church. I'm not that guy. I'm the kind of guy that will tell you the truth of the Word of God and let you deal with the truth knowing you're going to come back to church. Knowing that you want to hear the truth. You want to be a person that knows that two and two are four. Not three and a half, not five and three quarters. That two and two are four. And I believe as an adult, when you hear the truth of the Word of God, you will deal with it within your own heart of hearts. And it is my desire to tell the truth so that you and I can grow in the truth. And so there's churches that won't tell you you're going to go through difficulties, but the Bible tells you you will. And it tells us how to deal with it and why we go through difficulties. Now, how does 
Peter begin this journey. Verse 8. No, excuse me, verse 13. We did verses 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12 last I was here. Verse 13. We begin this journey, he tells us, by having a passion for doing good. Look at verse 13. Who is there to harm you, Peter asks, if you prove zealous for what is good? Now that took me back, just in my own mind, I went back to Ecclesiastes. If if you've never read Ecclesiastes, do so at at a time when you have some leisure. Just read it through leisurely. Get get the feel of it. But in, in Ecclesiastes, it's all about a troubled soul. And so in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, in verse 17, look at it later, don't need to search for it now, but Ecclesiastes right after Proverbs, you know, Psalms, Proverbs, then comes Ecclesiastes. Is that about right? That is about right. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 17 says, I hated life. (laughs) I asked, what's going on in this guy's life or this girl's life that they're so despondent that they hate life? And they say, the work which has been done under the sun is grievous to me. In other words, it's, 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 it's boring, it's, 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 it's futile. That's what he does say, because everything is futile, he says. It's like striving after the wind, he says. It's empty, do you get it? He's, he's saying that he hates life because he's found no peace in life. And I, I cannot relate to him. I do what I do here with such passion that I can't wait for tomorrow. Because tomorrow brings me closer to next Saturday where we have church and next Sunday where we have church. And so I get to study Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. In the midst of that, Wednesday morning, I get to go with the guys and have breakfast. And I love it. It is my passion And I feel sorry for anyone that doesn't have a passion for what they do in life. And this poor soul in Ecclesiastes says, I I hate life. It's grievous to me. It's it's futile. I'm like chasing after the wind. What's he chasing after? What are you chasing after? What am I chasing after? Why is it I enjoy what I do? Why is it I have a passion for what I do? tell you why because that last song oh how he loves me that he afforded me this opportunity to do this at my time in life how could I not pay him back in return how can I not love him back you know Ecclesiastes closes the 12th chapter there's only 12 chapters Verses 13 and 14 say this. Listen to this. The writer says the conclusion. In other words, everything I have said, here's the conclusion. It says in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13. He says the conclusion is this. When all has been heard is fear God and keep His commandments. That's easy enough. Fear means to reverence, to love, to respect God, and to keep His Word. I can do that. I can do that. He says, because this applies to, you know he says applies to? To every person. Everybody. 
those who are here in church and those who are going their merry way wouldn't come to church if you paid them. They don't want to come to church. But he says when everything's been heard, the conclusion is, fear God, keep His Word, and that applies to everybody. Everybody. Next verse, verse 14. Because God will bring every act into judgment. Everything which is hidden, whether it is good or it's evil. You see, a person can run from God, but they can't hide. They can't. He knows everything that's going on in your life, their life, our lives. My life. I already said yours. Peter's statement of verse 13, back to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13, shows that who is it there to harm you, he says, if you prove zealous for what is good. But on the other hand, he is quick to write in verses 14 through 17, but even if you should suffer... For the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. You're blessed. Therefore, he says, don't fear their intimidation, whoever they are. And do not be troubled. But rather, he says in verse 15, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks to give an account for the hope that is in you. Yet with gentleness and Reverence. Dr. J. Vernon McGee takes a, a couple of pages to write about verse 15. And he starts it off by saying he wishes he was eloquent enough to really explain all that verse 15 means to believers in Jesus Christ. He goes on to say his fear is that in churches we are not emphasizing the Word of God so the people in the the, the pews, the people that are in the seats, the people who come to church are not ready to make a defense for what is the hope that lives within you. Dr. McGee, I've patterned my life over his in the fact that I want to teach the Word of God. That's all he wants to, do, to live for. And he wanted the people that he taught to grasp what he was teaching. I I understand that completely. And so, Peter goes on to say in verses 16 and 17, keep a good conscience. So that in the thing which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ are going to be put to shame. Because, and here's the key, verse 17 is the key. It's, it's the key. Understand verse 17. It's better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than suffering for doing what is wrong. That, that confirms what Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13 says. I guess we can put it up on the screen, right Daniel? Have it up there please so you can remind yourself of it. The conclusion is this. When everything else has been heard it is simply fear God, keep His commandments. This applies to every single person, every one of us. Listen, not having a passion for, for goodness is a terrible thing for us as believers. But having a passion for goodness is no guarantee that you won't suffer. Just because you do well, do good, 
doesn't mean you're not going to suffer eventually, one, one way or another. We all will. How do I know? Well, Jesus Christ himself. He went about doing absolutely nothing but good towards others. And yet, in this hostile world in which he lived at that time, they eventually wanted to kill him. I mean, of all people, they wanted to kill Jesus. Put up on the screen, please, Daniel, Matthew chapter 27, verse 22 and verse 23. Pilate, at the trial, Jesus has been beaten to a pulp. He stands before the people there and, and, and they are going to put him on trial. And Pilate asks the question, what shall I do with this Jesus who is called the Christ? And they all said what? Crucify him. Kill the guy. He asks them in the next verse, verse 23, why? What evil has he done? But they kept shouting all the more, crucify him. Our Lord Jesus Christ made it crystal clear that believers cannot presume that because we live a good life, we will escape suffering. If he did, so will we, he says. Daniel, put, put Matthew chapter 10, verse 24 and 25 up on the screen. Jesus taught these words, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. Verse 25, It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master. Watch now. If they have called the head of the household Beelzebub, in other words, if they've called me, Jesus said, the devil, how much more will they malign the members of his household? In other words, you and me. We're all going to go through it. Jesus wasn't the only one that taught that. Listen to what Paul said. Daniel, Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. Look, for you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in Him, but it has been granted to you to suffer for His sake. Are you willing? You, you, ought, to, you ought to weigh that. Are you willing to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ? Oh, how He loves you. Oh, how He loves you and me. Again, Paul reminds us in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, Daniel. Paul says, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Deal or no deal for you? You in or you out? In Acts chapter 5, verse 41, put that up on the screen, please, Daniel. The, the disciples were beaten. They were imprisoned and beaten. And they walked out of that prison saying they rejoiced that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for His name. How about you and how about me? You feel like it's, it's, it's through your trials we are... We are blessed that our Lord finds us worthy enough to suffer shame for His name? Or do you question God? Why? Why me? I'll tell you why you. I'll tell you why me. And I think I'm going through deep waters too. Probably as deep as any of you. Why is suffering such a bonus? 
Peter tries to explain. You're in 1 Peter chapter 3. Flip your page to 1 Peter chapter 5. Please look. Why don't you look at just one verse, verse 10. Peter tries to explain why we suffer and why it's uh, considered something that is uh, that we can rejoice over. Peter says in verse 10 of chapter 5 of 1 Peter, After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself. I have that really doubled down. I've circled it in red in my Bible. Will Himself. God will personally perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish me and you. But that's not only Peter's words. Listen to James. Um, On the screen, rather than search for James, look at James chapter 1, verses 2, 3, and 4. Look what James says. James has the audacity to say, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Come on, James. You really mean that? Well, he says, because knowing that the testing of your faith is going to produce endurance. In verse 4 he says, And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you might be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. There's a purpose for you and me to go through these difficulties. It's about time that we stop kicking and screaming while we're going through them and try to see what God is trying to teach us through it all so that we can come out the other end perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. Perfect, confirmed, strengthened, and established. And don't think for a moment that that through this suffering that you happen to be going through that you're the only one. Look look again in 1 Peter chapter 4 this time, please. And look at verse 12. And Peter tells us that suffering comes to every single one of us. None of us escape it. So he says, don't be shocked when you go through the difficulties. He says in verse 12 of 1 Peter chapter 4, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. It's not just you that's going through difficulties right now. All of us will suffer to one degree or another, believers and non-believers alike. We all go through it. How do we go through it? Peter tells us again, back to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to close with verses 16 and 17. Therefore, he says, I want you to keep a good conscience. Because the thing which you are being slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ are going to be put to shame. In other words, they will have nothing to hang their hat on. Because it's better, he says in verse 17, if God should will it so in your life that you suffer for doing what is right rather than suffering for doing what is wrong. I told you I went through uh, commentaries on this and from Dr. MacArthur to Dr. McGee and I want to to read to you what was in the commentary concerning these two verses. Verses 16 and 17 out of Dr. J. Vernon McGee's commentary. 
Dr. J. Vernon McGee had just become the senior pastor over at the Church of the Open Door in Los Angeles. I'm, most of you are too young to remember, but it was a huge, it was the staple of churches in the community back in that day. It was in the inner city of, of Los Angeles, and it was a big, big church and a big, big deal. And they called him to be the pastor. And so he went to a, a conference in Chicago and he met up with another pastor friends of his. He didn't mention the pastor's name. But he, he became transparent with this pastor friend of his. It started by the pastor friend asking J. Vernon McGee, Vernon? I don't know what he called him. Maybe Vernon. Vernon, how do you like pastoring your new church? And Dr. McGee said to him, it's fine, except can't defend myself of all the accusations that are levied against me every week. And I don't intend to get up into the pulpit every Sunday morning and explain to the congregation all the things that have been said about me. My business, he told his pastor friend, is to teach the Word of God. And by the way, Dr. McGee said to him, all of these things that are being said of me are not true. I guess he was hoping, as I would, to be, be stroked by his friend, saying, you'll be okay, don't worry. His friend just said this to him, Dr. McGee or Vernon, just to thank the Lord God Almighty that what they say about you is not true. You and I can hold that same standard within our lives. People will love to say things that are, are maybe unkind and untrue and you go through difficulties and you wonder why. Well, keep a good conscience, it says in verse 16, as you go through it, so that in the thing which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. Because it's better, verse 17 tells us, if God would will it so that you and I suffer for doing what is right rather than suffering for doing what is wrong. 